Well, hey there, podcast listener. How are you today? Like, really? Because if I could be honest, you're looking a little stressed out. And that's okay, because I've got your back. Because if you are feeling stressed out with life and work, left to feel unfulfilled, stuck, and ready for a new chapter to begin, well, I'm inviting you to change that. Because I want you to sit down with me and let's figure out a plan together, your life's roadmap, taking you from where you are right now and getting you to where you want to be. All you have to do is head on over to workwithkevin.coach. That is workwithkevin.coach to sign up. Until then, enjoy today's episode. Hey, what's up? It's Kevin, host of Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. Before you dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Naked Warrior Recovery. If you've ever thought about trying CBD products before, well, here is your opportunity. Head on over to nw-recovery.com and use promo code LOW, that's L-O-W-E, all capital letters, to snag an extra 20% off. All of this information and links are inside of today's show notes. Enjoy the episode. I walk up to the slumber party trying to find a spot to lay down and one of the inmates wake two people up to make room for me, and they do. So they had me send my bowling spoon in the cubby that are under the uh, bunks. And I lay down between two Chinese men, and I set my hands on my chest, and I'm staring at the bright light on the ceiling. And that's when reality fully kicked in. Like, yeah, yeah. Bro, you in here. You in here. Nobody knows you in here. You don't even know how long you're going to be in here. It's not looking too good. <laughs> but at the end of the day, yeah, man, got to hold ourselves accountable. We got to hold ourselves accountable. Can't blame nobody for us being in this position right now. Welcome to Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. I'm your host, Kevin Lowe, and I'm excited to welcome you inside. This is the kind of place where your glass will never be anything other than half full because we choose to focus on the positive side of life. Now, this doesn't mean that we shy away from the real talk. No, not a chance. Matter of fact, we explore all aspects of life, from the good, the bad, and the ugly. But all of that is done with one purpose. To inspire you to never give up on life, even when it may seem like life has given up on you. Now I get it. Life is hard. But starting today, you've got grit, grace, and inspiration. What's going on and how are you today? My name is Kevin Lowe, your host, and you're joining me today for episode 143. I want to start today off with a question. What is one of your biggest fears? Now I'm talking about bigger, more monumental than spiders or snakes. I'm talking about real life fears. Like at your gut, if you could think of the worst thing happening to you, what would that be? Now, I want you to imagine this. It happens to you, but you make it through it. You come out the other side and you turn that experience into a book that becomes a bestseller on Amazon. Yeah, you just turned your nightmare into a book that's being now read by people all over the world. 
Now you're going on a podcasting tour and you're making a difference in people's lives. And your life is almost in some weird way better because of what you've gone through. Well, today's guest, Chancellor Kay Jackson, he was living out, I believe, a fear that many people have. And that's going to prison, but not just prison in your own country, but going to prison in a foreign country. Because see, Chancellor Kay Jackson, he was living in China when he was faced with this reality that he was going to prison in a Chinese prison. I heard this and I immediately thought, oh my gosh. I can't imagine. I don't want to imagine because that would be up there on my top five list of greatest fears is to be locked away in a prison in a foreign country where you know nothing, you're being told nothing, and you literally have no idea what's going to happen. Now, back to our little scenario, but it did happen to Chancellor K. Jackson, and he would end up coming out the other side and would turn it into a book. That book is called 14 Days in Beijing, an Amazon bestseller. Chancellor has gone on to write more books, which you will hear about inside of today's episode. But the majority of the time, me and Chancellor are talking about this entire experience. What had him in China? What led to him being arrested? What that process was like? And where his mind was at during the time locked away in this prison? inside of China. And then, of course, what led him to then turn that story into a book? And, well, that's then what brought him to be on a podcast just like this one. His story is riveting. It definitely touches on that fear factor. It makes you realize, wow, stuff like this really does happen. But you look at him and you say, but man, Chancellor, He's got it going on. He's took a negative and he's turned it into a positive and he's making an impact on the world. Now, before I get to that interview with Chancellor Kay Jackson, I, of course, got to give a shout out to our amazing sponsor who has been a proud sponsor of the podcast for the last quarter of 2022. That, of course, being Naked Warrior Recovery. If you have ever thought about wanting to try out CBD products, well, this is your opportunity. Head on over to nw-recovery.com. That's nw-recovery.com. That link is in the show notes. And use discount code LOW, that's L-O-W-E, all capital letters, to snag an extra 20% off. They have the highest quality CBD products that are THC-free, and they're there to help both your physical and mental health. So go ahead and support today's sponsor, Naked Warrior Recovery, by treating yourself to some of their amazing products. Again, their information, 
and all those discount codes and links are inside of the episode show notes as always. With that said, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Chancellor Kay Jackson. Chancellor, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, man, Kevin, appreciate you for having me. Blessings and balance to you and blessings and balance to everyone that's tuning in right now. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Well, well, Chancellor, I'm thrilled to have you here today. I'm thrilled to dive into to your story that's really revolves around this book that you have published. But before we get to that, would you please just kind of give me a little bit of backstory into your life growing up, growing up just as a kid, just kind of, you know, kind of getting an idea of where you've come from and, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what What has kind of brought you to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. So the name is Chancellor K. Jackson. I'm born and raised in Smyrna, Georgia, um, specifically. Well, I was born in Fulton County, but raised in Smyrna. Smyrna is right outside of Atlanta, you know what I'm Northwest. It's a, it's a pretty good area, you know what I'm saying? We had a great childhood growing up. A lot of activities. Played. A, we played a lot outside. We had a, we did a lot outdoors, so we was never really in the house like that. And then... The neighborhood we grew up in is one of the oldest black communities that's still standing to this day. It's, it's getting gentrified now, but it's a community that's been around for a very long time. And you know what I'm saying? It's a lot of family members that coexist within this neighborhood. So there's a lot of kids all throughout it. It was also a preschool back in the day in the middle of the uh, neighborhood. So, of course, we had a lot of kids to play with. And it was a park, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, too. Public park, yeah. basketball courts, tennis courts. Then later came a volleyball court and then plenty, plenty of fields to run and play football <laughs> on. So, you know what I'm saying? We had a great childhood, riding bikes everywhere. I had got in trouble, but, you know what I'm saying, nothing too crazy, you know what I'm saying, to the point where, you know what I'm saying, mama had to get called, anything like that. Um, it was very disciplined. At least I was definitely the one to make sure we didn't get into too much trouble. So, uh, yeah. we, you know what I'm saying, it was, childhood was great. Then we started playing football around, like, eighth grade, like organized football. Okay, so that definitely sharpened us and fine tuned us even more into the individual that I that we are today. And I played all throughout high school, and then got to play in college for four years at Stetson University. Go Hatters! Um, <laughs> down in Deland, Florida. <laughs> Shout yep. out to Deland. <laughs> After I graduated from college, I landed my first job teaching English to children in China. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so let me go back real quick. So just out of my own curiosity, when you, when you talk about your childhood, wh- how old are you today? Yeah, I'm 26 now. <laughs> okay. So that's what I thought you were younger. And so that's what I thought to myself. How cool, because honest to goodness, the way that you talk about your childhood is a lot how I talk about my childhood. And, and I got 10 years on you. And the fact and the fact of we were kind of blessed to still be outside, like yeah. playing like kids, you know? Yeah. For sure. Yeah. yeah, man. And so I just I think that is really awesome. And so I just wanted to to ask you about that because I I do I believe that is something that kids today are missing out on, you know? For sure. I know in the neighborhood, like it isn't like how it was back in the day. Like back in the day, you're going to see kids at the park, you know what I'm saying, without adults. We just yes. up there hanging out, having fun, uh, the whole nine. 
But now, oh, no, unless you really all the time you see kids at the park, they with their parents, you know what I'm saying? So they they more than likely not from the neighborhood, you know what I'm saying? Yep. They done drove some, yep. someplace else or they at the basketball court. Definitely going to be folks at the basketball court always. Folks always hooping. But um, yeah. in the field, they utilize the field as well. A lot of people be playing soccer, frisbee and stuff and the volleyball yeah. court as well. They be going crazy on that too. <laughs> but um, but that mainly be adults and stuff. You know what I'm saying? That's on yes. the fields and basketball courts. It ain't really kids like that per se. So yeah. it's definitely uh, something that, you know what I'm saying, kids is missing out on. I do see some kids here and there that play and be outside. And I know it's really, you really get to see in elementary school, you know what I'm saying, when the kids go to recess. I'm like, this is probably, you know what I'm saying, most of their only times to be able to play with other kids, unless they play sports or they live in a neighborhood that's filled with kids. If not, then they at the house on the tablets, the internet, you know what I'm saying, doing. Exactly, exactly. So now you, you talked about that the you and Friends and stuff got into organized football. So so you ended up really getting into football, playing it all through high school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before that, we always played pickup games. Like, we played in the park all almost every day. You know what I'm saying? We always played f- football in the park. But as far as starting organized football, me and my brother ain't starting until eighth grade. I mean, middle eighth grade for me, seventh grade for him. The rest of our peers have been playing since elementary school. You know what I'm saying? So we were okay. late bloomers to organize football, but we were very athletic. And <laughs> we were athletic for, you know what I'm saying, people that, two boys that have not played organized football. Like, so yeah. we already knew we was going to have success in it. Yeah, well, that that's how, so now what position did you play? DB. I play, started off free safety and then moved to strong safety my sophomore year. And we ran a 30-stack defense, so I was pretty much like an outside linebacker. And then my senior year, they moved me to corner, and then I played corner for three years at Stetson. And then my last year, they moved me back to strong safety. So that outside linebacker position. So um, okay. just, I've always played in the secondary. Always. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that's awesome. That's awesome. So now Stetson. So so you moved, moved down to Florida, down to my neck of the woods. And <laughs> um, so did you do four years at Stetson? Yes, sir. I got my bachelor's degree in communication and media studies. Okay, okay, awesome. So that brings us back up to where you left off, which is kind of this uh, pivotal point in, in our story today. How do we then go from footballer, living it up, going to Stetson now, hey, I'm going to go teach kids how to uh, <laughs> to uh, speak English over in China. How did that come about? Man, just hungry for opportunity, honestly. When football came to an end, November 2017, and I was just like, I was at a crossroad. Like, man, Chance, yeah. who are you? What's next? Yeah. Uh, what do you What do you want out of life? Who do you aspire to be? What do you aspire to be? What do you even like? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? What's your purpose? I couldn't yes. answer any of these questions. Mm. So I know I had to start somewhere. And I just started applying for various jobs. You know what I'm saying? Mainly corporate position, but I'm just going on job searching sites and I'm looking at the description. I feel like I can do it. Then I just apply for it. So I was doing this process for about eight months. I'm landing interviews, getting flown out, put up hotels, the whole nine. But yeah. could not <laughs> seem to land a, a position. You know what I'm saying? So I done yeah. graduated. Now I'm back home and I'm still in the same boat. You know what I'm saying? Still don't got nothing going on. Yep. And me being resilient, kept at it and came across the opportunity to uh, 
teach English abroad in China. I found that I found that on LinkedIn, ironically. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? So I read the description. I'm like, okay, I feel like I could do this. You know what I'm saying? I've always been a leader, you know what I'm saying? And always been, I can definitely teach somebody something. I'm like, yeah, I, I feel like I could do that. The requirements <laughs> are simple. I applied, set up an interview. Them folks, the first people, the first job to tell me yes. And I'm like, oh yeah, we finna do this. Wow. So now, had you traveled much growing up and especially out of the country? Yeah, I've been to London twice and uh, the Bahamas three times. That's about it. Okay. Okay. A little bit different, though, than moving to China for a year. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But ironically, in the introduction of my book, I flash back to a table conversation I'm having with my family at breakfast. I'm like seven, eight years old and probably younger than that. And my mama asked me and my brother, she said, what's three places in the world y'all want to go? I'll make sure that we go. China. She looking at me crazy like, why China? <laughs> the only logical reason I had, that's where everything is made. <laughs> that's the only reason I had. That's where everything is made. You look at the back of any product, it say made where? Made in China. I'm like, dang, bro. America's supposed to be the big dog, but... All uh, the product coming from one place. Them the real merchants. I want to see what they. I want to see what life like over there. I want to see what they got going on. They doing something right, bro. Cause they all their products over here. So I was like, yeah. Uh, so I was always intrigued with the land from a very young age, and it was for that reason alone. <laughs> but did I know that that would come full circle? You know what I'm saying? Moving forward, absolutely not. So it was just manifestation. Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, a little like. This like crazy foreshadowing of of something to come that you had no idea about, you know. I mean, that's that that's pretty wild. I, I must say that's that's pretty wild stuff. So, so talk to me about this position that you got hired for. That you go to China. Talk to me about the experience of what you knew, what to expect, and and you know, then heading over there. Yeah. So once I got hired. Started putting me through the visa process, which took three months, and I had to go get a background check, get it notarized, and take it to the Chinese consulate so they could send it over. And I had to do the same thing with my degree, but at that time, I didn't have my degree because I didn't pay my senior dues, so I had to pay my senior dues, <laughs> wait for the degree to come in, get, then do the same process. And then I, I just, I guess just from, I don't know if cause they got to mail it or whatever, but it take, it's a three-month-long process. So I got hired in like over the summer, but I ain't actually get to China until October. But before then, they had me take uh, get my TEFL certification. So my teaching English as a foreign language certif- certificate. So I got that. And I took it upon myself to start learning Mandarin because I ain't just want to be out there not knowing nothing. So I was learning <laughs> through this app. Learning through this app. I was like, well, since I'm be teaching and being around kids, I need to start getting used to being around kids. So I looked up jobs in my uh, county, like in the school district my county school district and I was working as an AS after school program, you know what I'm saying, counselor at for one elementary school and I was a lunchroom monitor for another elementary school. So I'm okay. like, yeah, I'm gonna give oh yeah, so this is gonna be a good little two little gigs to get thoroughly immersed around these, you know what I'm saying, kids. So that was all preparation up until October tenth. And then uh, October tenth, that's when I landed in China. Wow. Wow. Well well I mean what what I have to say about that is it's it's not like you were treating this like it was just, oh, yeah, cool vacation. I mean, you really took it serious. And the fact of like, hey, I need to start learning the language. I need to start being around kids so I know how to 
to do this. And I mean, I think that's pretty just it speaks highly of you in the way that you think about, you know, the work that you were doing. Oh man, yeah, it's just you know what I'm saying. Just preparation. That's it. You know what I'm saying. I know this is gonna be a drastic change, so I'm gonna let me go ahead. I gotta get prepared. You know what I'm saying, especially mentally. So, so how was it living in China and and not only living but but working and stuff? Was it really awesome? Was it just talk to me about that experience? Man, it was absolutely the best experience I've ever had in my life. I encourage really? everybody. I encourage everybody to live abroad someplace else, especially okay. a place that you've always been fond of. Yes. And it doesn't have to be long. <laughs> I only yes. did six months in China. I got a full experience. Trust me. So it yes. don't got to be long. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But definitely live someplace else, man. It's it's a vibe. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. The people were were, were cool, honestly. I never had yeah. any real issues with any of the native people. The best customer service I ever received, hands down, no cap. What? And you can't even tip them, folks. That's a, that's against their culture. They don't even do that. That's just them doing their job. So it lets you know the type of time they on. And they're very disciplined, orderly people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, of course, working at the school with the kids, that was lit. I'm teaching kids as young as three years old all the way up to 14. But I was mainly okay. working with, like, the elementary school age range. Um, okay. so I'm with the babies for the most part. So, I mean, most of our lessons are just, you know what I'm saying, games while they're learning, just to keep them engaged. Um, yes. So, with me playing football, I'm like, okay, we're going to, I'll make my games uh, competitions. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're going to compete in here. We're going to see who's fast. We're going to see who can jump. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to see who athletic. You know what I'm saying? As well. So, we definitely had, I had class piped up. I enjoyed working with the kids. And then the food, absolutely amazing. Authentic Chinese food. Nothing, man. Really? And China, American Chinese food ain't t- man is that's American. <laughs> yes. Authentic Chinese food, completely different. You know what I'm saying? Entirely yes. different. Entirely. Yes. Um, and it's very healthy for you. you. Their diet is designed to keep you small. They don't. You really don't see a lot of overweight Chinese people. If you do, that's like seeing another black person in China. You know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> it's, you know what I'm saying? It's like they don't really do that. So yeah, the, every, for the most part, everybody in China is slim. Um, but it's yes. due to their diet. So it was a very nice and clean diet. And so I enjoyed that. And I was practicing my vegetarianism out there. So I was, I didn't get sick at all. I was good out there. So, and then exploring Beijing, you know what I'm saying? I'm from Atlanta, bro. Yeah. <laughs> world right now, essentially. So it's like, well, we just getting to explore this city and see all that it has to offer. Meeting other people. That was another vibe too. This is like, at all places I could have met you, I met you in Beijing. That's yeah. crazy. Like, and nothing, everything about the experience felt unreal. Like every day, we always say, "Like, damn, bro, it feel like we in like a a video game or we on a movie set right now." Like this shit don't seem like this is crazy. Like we really in China. Like, <laughs> like this is like we out here, bro. Like, damn. yeah, but we lived our best life though. It was fun. Well, that's so. Now, when you went there, were you with other teachers there teaching English? Like, so as a group or? Just by yourself? I came in with a recruiting group, like a recruiting okay. class almost. And it was like 20 of us, 20 something of us. But we only came in together and trained together. After training was over, we went to, you know what I'm saying? We got picked up by whatever schools. Okay. Um, and so we had to find housing near wherever we worked. So we parted okay. ways after those two weeks of training. But whoever you was tight with, you know what I'm saying? You definitely kept your, you know what I'm saying? You definitely kept ties. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. So, 
So you're you're in China, you're in Beijing, you're living your best life. Six months go by, what goes down? Yeah, so uh, April 4th, 2019, it's a day off for me. I just got done hitting the gym, eating, praying, and I'm finna get ready to... I got ev- I got event to head to in about an hour and a half, maybe two hours away. So before I start getting ready for the event, I'm like, I'm a pregame. So I'm pregaming in my living room, drinking some Chinese liquor, smoking some cannabis on my little silver pipe. After I get done pregaming, get dressed, I'm about ready to leave. And you know what I'm saying? I was I'm wrapping up the final little things. Hair knock at the door. Guests aren't unfamiliar, but curious to see who it is. I look through the peephole, and on the other side of the door stood three officers from the Beijing police. Heart instantly sunk to my stomach, like nervous, like I was really shook, spooked, like what were they doing here? So yeah. I scrambled, scrambled, put everything up, open the door, and they enter. One is questioning me about drugs, but of course I'm sitting here playing. I'm from Atlanta, city of finesse. You live by the finesse, you die by the finesse. So I'm sitting yes. here playing the fool, like I don't know what he's talking about. Like he crazy. He asked me, are there any drugs in the house? Again, I don't know what you're talking about, family. You got me mistaken for somebody else. Let me go grab my passport and stuff so you got to clear all this confusion up. So I go grab my documentation and bring it to him to look over while the other two officers are just, you know what I'm saying, just gently walking around the apartment, just scoping the place out. Nothing too crazy. Time passes, and I hear footsteps coming from down the hall. Mind you, they never closed the front door, so... I look to see who it is, and it's another officer approaching the apartment with something in his hand. I don't really know what he got. I can't make it. I, I ain't, I'm really just focusing on how I'm finna get out of this situation. So he enters and hands the item to the officer that I was talking to originally, and that officer communicates to me that I need to pee into the cup. And right then and there, I knew it was over with. It was a drug test right there on the spot. So do the drug test, <laughs> fail the drug test, of course. Now, at this point, it's about eight officers in the apartment. They're going through my, my shit deeper than my mother ever would. And <laughs> one in particular speaks English fluently. And now he's questioning me about failing the drug test, where I get the weed from, when's the last time I smoked, da 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 Like I said before, I'm from the city of Finesse. You live by the Finesse, you die by Finesse. So I'm just going back and forth with the officer. First thing that comes to my mind, I'm just blurting out. I'm catching myself lying, so I know he catch me lying, but like I said, it's city of finesse. Boy, you live by the finesse, you die by the finesse. So we going back and forth, and once he realized I wasn't going to give him anything that he could work with, he pretty much just made it evident that the gig was up. They knew I had more on me, and I was caught red-handed. So, you know what I'm saying? Of course, chills go throughout my body, but it's also like a flood of relief because now all the anxiety and the stress that I was under while I'm still high, you know what I'm saying, trying to hang on to the hope that they don't come across my the rest of my stash. I knew it was over with. I died by the finesse. All right, it is what it is. I lived to finesse another day. Now I got to hold myself accountable. So. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Talk about just a total change of pace. So, so what happens at that point? Are you, is it like we think of America? Are you handcuffed, put in a police car? Like what went down? Yeah, they confiscate uh, everything and throw the cuffs on me, escort me out of the building, set me down in the police van. And at, at you know what I'm saying? At this point, it, communication is non-existent. Okay. So for the next couple of chapters, <laughs> so there's no more communication after this point. So we uh, get to one precinct there briefly, get back in the van. I don't know where we're going now. End up at another precinct. This one's a little bigger. They had me change clothes and put me in a holding cell with 
about eight other Chinese men. And then they take me downstairs to do the official interrogation. And this is dramatic within the book because we in the basement of the precinct. They walk me into this white room and in this white room is furnished. The white room is furnished with a table and two chairs for the officers to sit at. You got a camera sitting on the tripod capturing the room. And in front of the table where the officers sit, it's this all metal chair. It looks like an electric chair. So they walk me over to it and they open it up. I'm looking at them crazy, like, y'all really want me to sit my ass down in there? <laughs> and they, they looking at me like, hell yeah. So I sat my ass down. Yeah. <laughs> so I sat down. And that thing locked my shins, thighs, waist, chest, and arms all in one place. So I couldn't, only part of my body I could move was my head. And then the officers walked in and we conducted the interrogation and I've kind of, up until this point, I've had plenty of time to come up with a good story to finesse some with. So, you know what I mean? That was, it was pretty much a smooth process just because my story sounded good. You know what I'm saying? And so they released me, had me uh, look over the transcription of the uh, interrogation, but everything's written in Mandarin. So I don't know what this thing say, but they tell me to sign it. I sign it. They tell me to thumbprint it. I thumbprint it. And then we go back upstairs, do the mugshot, handprint. Throw me back in the cell, and now I'm just reflecting on if them saying they bought the statement, what I could have said better, or I think I could have said this story. Now I'm just reflecting the whole day and what had transpired, and my heart's starting to come down now. It's been hours. It's finally starting to come down. I'm getting sleepy, and then I'm fading out of uh, consciousness until I just fall asleep and just wake up periodically trying to change position because I'm still handcuffed. <laughs> and, okay, uh, okay. Hours pass. They come get me out the cell, walk me to the lobby, and tell me put on my uh, bring my basket clothes, and tell me get dressed. I'm like, oh yes. See, look, everything done worked out, boy. This will happen. You comply. You know what I'm saying? Energy's good for sure. So I thought I get dressed. I'm waiting for the next set of orders. They uh, had me follow them through a door that's behind the front desk. Now, when we enter through this door, we're in a hallway. At the end of the hallway is a small room crowded with officers. I'm following the uh, CO into this room. And as I enter, I can only assume that this is some form of evidence room just because I see evidence bags everywhere. No form of organization, structure at all. It's just clutter. But in front of me is a table. And on the center of the table is everything that was confiscated from my apartment. And they take the weed and they weigh it up right in front of me. And this is an interesting phase within the book because, and this is, we're still in chapter one. This is an interesting phase within uh, chapter one because, like I said, I really, communication has ceased to exist. They question me about the weed. That's about it. Aside from that, these folks ain't communicating anything else to me. So, and it's like that throughout the whole story. So I receive uh, signs and messages from my ancestors throughout the story. But this is the only live and action one I did receive. So they waited weed right up in front of me and it totals out to be 1.4 grams. Now, for those that partake in cannabis, you know, 1.4 grams ain't nothing. For those that don't partake in cannabis, we're talking about units of measurements, 1.4 grams of anything. It's not a lot. So, but you look at that number, 1.4. If you remove the points, what number do you get? 14. Hence the title of the book. Okay. So this is one. This is one of the very first. Now, at that moment, I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it at that moment, but that was one of the very first signs I received. Little did I know. But the other signs I received would occur in my dreams. Um, okay. So they put everything on paper, had me sign a thumbprint, just like last time, and now we get back in the van. 
I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> exactly. What what's happening? I'm like, what are we doing? I don't know what's going on. He cranked up the car. I look at the clock on the radio. It's 1 a.m. I'm like, damn, bro. <laughs> y'all arrest me at like, hey, I got, y'all arrest me at like 11. You know what I'm saying? Y'all arrest me at like 11 something, bro. It's 1 a.m., bro. I've been in custody all day, bro. Like, I ain't no way they ain't taking me home. So we riding, we riding. 40 minutes passed and we arrived at a facility detail with tall walls and barbed wire. I was like, fuck. <laughs> we just getting started. So uh, we, entered, we entered the facility. Go to the nurse's office, do a quick physical. Then they had me change my clothes to the official uniform, put all the rest of my stuff in the bag, and then put it at, put the bag in the storage room. And they gave me one Tupperware bowl and one plastic spoon. And then we went upstairs to the second floor to the men's house, get the cell 209. Mine was like 4 o'clock in the morning at this point. So CO opens the door. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Psychic stone instantly from what I see. I instantly, I see just a huddle of bodies sleeping. And the book, I describe it as a slumber party almost. Yes. Like back in the day when we had sleepovers, you know what I'm yep. saying? And everybody yep. got to make room. It looked like that, bro. So I'm like, whoa. But across from the slumber party were two inmates standing against the wall watching them sleep. So I'm like, what is going on in here? And the two inmates, the wait, the last thing they expected was a black dude with dreads coming, walking through, the, you know what I'm saying, through the doors. Now they looking at me crazy, like, whoa. So we just got this awkward moment of just eye contact. Like, we just, it was the last thing either one of us expected to see once the door opened. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Of course. Um, <laughs> so I step into the cell, CEO slams the door shut. In front of me are the uh, beds, which are wooden bunks. And... There's nine of them in total. I do a head count of all the people in the cell. There's 15 of us. Oh, wow. So I'm like, okay, that, well, that makes sense why I look like a slumber party. To my yep. left is, is the bathroom. Uh, the, it's just all separate room, but the walls are made of glass. So you can, okay. everybody can see inside. Uh, sink, regular sink. The toilet is a squat toilet, so pretty much a hole in the ground you got to squat over. And the shower ain't nothing but a water hose with a shower head duct tape to it. They got black mold coat in the walls, gnats and shit flying around. So it's not the most sanitary place to say the least. <laughs> no. Um, I walk up to the slumber party trying to find a spot to lay down. And two, one of the inmates wake two people up to make room for me, and they do. So they had me set my bowl and spoon in the cubby that are under the uh, bunks. And I lay down between two Chinese men, and I set my hands on my chest, and I'm staring at the bright light on the ceiling. And that's when reality fully kicked in, like, yeah, yeah. Bro, you in here. You in here. Nobody knows you in here. You don't even know how long you're going to be in here. It's not looking too good. <laughs> but at the end of the day, yeah, man, got to hold ourselves accountable. We got to hold ourselves accountable. Can't blame nobody for us being in this position right now. So, yeah. you know what I mean? It is what it is at that point. You know what I'm saying? You got to take it to the chin. Now, moving forward, what the hell needs to happen to ensure we get on up out of here? Well, first thing first, people got to realize you in here. All right. Now, you didn't show up to that event that you were supposed to meet friends and colleagues at, that I'm sure they called, and you ain't answer. Is that a red flag? No, but it's weird. It's a sign. Now, when you don't show up for your classes Saturday and Sunday morning, for, all hell's breaking loose. Because now they got to find somebody to cover your class last minute. And one of the friends that I was going to meet at the uh, event, me and her work at the same school. So, yes. boom, red flags. Okay, something's wrong. He ain't, you know what I'm saying? He ain't show up to the event and he ain't showing up for work. Something wrong. I don't know what's going on. Something wrong. In addition to that, I had a girlfriend at the time that still lived in America, but me and her communicated regularly. So I'm like, when I don't respond to two of her messages, all hell is breaking loose. So 
hey, I know I'm going to have to at least sit through the weekend before I become missing on people's radar. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> yes. come Monday, hopefully the search for me will begin then. And till now, bro, just try to get some rest, man. And you know what I'm saying? We'll yeah. handle it come Monday. And that's pretty much chapter one and a, a bit of chapter two. But yeah, I was like, we was locked up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 15 men to one cell, nine wooden beds, three soups a day. Man, all I had was that one Tupperware bowl and that one plastic spoon. Wow. So now, did anybody in the cell speak English? No. Nah, first three days, I was the only foreigner, only English speaker in my cell. So I'm in there, in there with 14 other Chinese men, none of which I can talk to. So it was really no communication. Like I said, it was no communication. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? For three, 72 hours, no communication. Just a lot of reflecting, really. A lot of reflecting. So you just... Yeah. So what was the story with the two guys who weren't laying down sleeping, who were kind of standing guard. What was the deal with them? At that point in time, I don't know why they're doing that. It isn't okay. until chapter four, day four, it's when I moved to a new cell, and now I'm amongst two other English speakers. So okay. now I can finally communicate with somebody. Yes. And start making sense of how the jail operates one, and then how this process works as far as getting out. And then, but yeah, that's I just was able to learn those too. I still had no clue how long I was going to be there, but ironically enough, everybody else knows their situations to the greatest detail. Oh. <laughs> I'm the only, yeah, I'm the only one that don't know nothing. So, well, that's yeah, because you, you you was the only one who couldn't read the paper you signed and fingerprinted. That part too. <laughs> <laughs> that part too. So, you know what I mean? But even then, like, like the next morning after I got in there that night, we met with I didn't know what we were doing, but they had grabbed folks from some of the cells and had us in the center, walk us to the center lobby, and had us standing against the wall. <laughs> and then they called us one by one into this room. And that's where we sat down with some dude. And he gave me, a, when I went in there, it was already a dude in front of me, you know what I'm saying, in the chair. They was finishing up. And I sit down. He bring me a little contract. Again, nothing I can read. He tell me to sign it. I sign it. Thumbprint it. Thumbprint it. And then I'm back out. I'm like, bro, what the hell was that? I don't even know what just happened. Yeah. Come find out day four, chapter four, when I'm with the other English speakers, they tell me, oh yeah, that was the warden. That was <laughs> that was pretty much your sentencing right there. I'm like, well, damn, I I didn't know what was going on, bro. Nobody said nothing to me. So yeah, <sighs> it's more. It's a better vibe now that I can communicate with other people, and it's interesting because now it's more characters. You get to learn their backgrounds and who they yes. are as individuals, and now. They're both fluent in English and Mandarin. So now I can communicate with the native Chinese inmates as well. So you get to learn about a lot of their stories, too. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Wow, wow, wow. So so at what point then, or do you ever find out how long you're going to be there? <laughs> Until they finally call my name to go. Really? hmm So, and, and that was 14 days. Ironically. <laughs> yep. So now at any point, because I mean, I'm listening to this and I'm thinking to myself like, okay, th- there's the initial shock of it all. There's the the initial exhaustion that had to take place. There's there's all these things. But at any point, did you have that like lowest point? Like what in the world's just happened? Like, is there a point? Was there a point? Or did you stay strong just the whole time? 
I was pretty much strong and I had faith the whole time. Of course, you waking up, hoping to hear some information, going to bed disappointed. But, you know what I'm saying, just staying optimistic, staying faithful and trusting the process. But it, on day 13, chapter 13, I'll just say I just fully just let go. I feel like I'm just, all right, I'm going to stop trying to put so much energy and effort into trying to control what I can't control. And I'm just going to let you, I'm saying, I'm going to let y'all answer this. I'm going to let y'all handle it. Man, y'all got it. So what? You know what I'm saying? I'm just, whatever yeah. long I got to be here, that's how long I got to be here. It is what it is at this point. So, wow. but I, and then, yeah, that was, a, I say that was about it. I still wasn't like, damn, bro, why me? No. <laughs> yeah. So, so talk to me about the process of you getting out. What, what happened and, and, and what went down once you got out? Uh, Yeah, they called me to go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Grab my bowl and spoon. Had, took me downstairs, got dressed, had me sign something again I couldn't read. <laughs> and then we got in the van, took me to my apartment, packed up the rest of my stuff, and then took me straight to the airport while I was deported from the country. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So you leave China. You've just, I mean, I mean, you, you've gone from the highest point, living your best life, to the lowest of low of, of something that, to be quite honest with you, is, I believe, a nightmare to most people. The thoughts of <laughs> being put into a Chinese prison with no idea what's going on, when you're going to get out. I mean, what's going through your head as you're flying back home? I'm drinking like a mug. I'm drinking like a motherfucker on the plane. <laughs> they flew me back on Delta. I said, "Oh, I got all all I want. Keep them coming, shout Y'all don't even. Y'all really don't know. The past two weeks, I just said, "But keep them things coming." First ten hours, all I did was listen to music. I was just yeah. trying to listen to music. That's it. This music is something I love. That's one of one of my favorite things to do. Just listen to music. So I was, that's all I did. And then the last four hours, I just uh, watched movies or whatever. But yeah, I was really just thinking about. Finally, being able to talk to my girlfriend at the time and telling everybody, surprising everybody that I'm back. And definitely, I'm like, but these folks ain't going to believe this story, bro. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't believe this story. Not. Wow. So, so, so what kind of music? You talked about music being big. What's your music genre? My favorite genre is R&B, for sure. Okay. Definitely listen to hip hop and rap. Listen to a little alternative. Listen to a little electronic as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty versed. Pretty, yeah, I got a little, little bit of everything. Yeah. Well, okay, I love it. I love it. So, so I, I, I'm probably gonna fast forward here a little bit. At what point then do you realize, you know what, I want to turn this into a book? It is until a couple months later. It's July, and my good friend I grew up with, he was a published author before we graduated high school in 2014. He was so he was the one that's like, hey, bro, you should write a book about the experience. I'm like, boy, that's a good ass idea. <laughs> I mean, I'm like, but that is genius. I don't even know where to start, but that's a good uh, that's a good idea, boy. And he took it a step further, went in my notes, gave me a five layer outline, very very simple, and I just started filling it in. And as I'm filling it in, I caught a flow for how I wanted to tell the story, and then I moved it from my notes to a Google Doc, and so I could type it on the computer. And four months later, the story was written. And the wow. next six months was uh, just getting it ready for publishing. Wow. 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 Now, did you, were you able to go the traditional way of publishing? Did you do self-publishing? 
money in marathon where I went independent self-publishing for okay. sure. I got locked up on April 4th, 2019. So I released the very first version of 14 Days on April 4th, 2020, the anniversary year. And while I was still on preset, I was ranked the number one new bestseller in three different genres. Wow. Dude, that is so, so awesome. So awesome. And so feedback from from even just family, friends, when they've read the book, are they kind of in disbelief? I mean, what what kind of reaction oh, yeah. have you gotten? Oh yeah, it's like it's a it's a phenomenal story. You know what I'm saying? It's a roller coaster of emotions. Like it isn't a lot of action, you know what I'm saying? But just far as just a, it's a mystery though. You know what I'm saying? It's really more mysterious because it's a journey. You know what I'm saying? I'm going through this process not knowing what what is going on. I don't know what's going on. And that's how you, as you're reading the book, you feel like it's you. You don't know what's going on, what's going to happen next. So it keeps you on your toes in that aspect. You know what I'm saying? And just learning about a whole completely different culture. For essentially, you know what I'm saying? A whole different realm of the world, which most people have no true knowledge of. Um, so you can gain a little bit of understanding, especially, you know what I'm saying, getting locked up abroad. Like you said, that's a lot of people's worst fear. That's why it has, prevents a lot of people from even traveling in, in general, just because of something like that. But it's a page turner for sure. And I knew I knew it was going to be crazy once I was just selling it verbally to people and just seeing how their body language just changed just from me, me uh, telling the story. And then especially as I was uh, editing it, I'm letting people read like a page. I'm not even telling them what it is. I said, hey, just read a couple pages of this and tell me what you think. And they reading it. And next thing I know, I ain't even, I haven't got my laptop back. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like, yeah. well, <laughs> was like, okay, for sure. I'm already, okay, this is going to go crazy. It's going to go crazy. What? Uh, yeah, so it was crazy. Wow, 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 wow. So, so what has happened since you've published this book? And first and foremost, I guess go ahead and tell the audience the name of the book, where we can find the book at for, for those wanting to read it. Yeah, the title of the book is 14 Days in Beijing. You can find it on Amazon, as well as my website, chancellorkjackson.com. And mind you, like I said, when you type it in, you'll see different versions of it because I have trapped it out. You the, the ones with the most ratings, you that's the ones you want to get. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The ones with the most ratings, yes. those are the ones you want to get. But yeah, so you can find those. And I also got other books as well. So y'all can tap in with that. Yeah. So so that's what I'm wondering. So so you write this book. At first, you're like, what? Write a book? Are you kidding me? But you write this one, you knock it out in a really short amount of time. And so does that kind of did just unleash this new thing of Whoa, I'm a writer. And so kind of set you off because cause talk to me about the other books that have come out since then. Yeah, so you got You Love and You Learn and Real Love Never Dies. And pretty much it's there's a true another true story based on you know what I'm saying, real life events that I've experienced. And um, but all in all, the premise is uh man's first step towards gaining emotional intelligence. And it's the all three books are a trilogy. So it's all t- it's telling one long story. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Pre- you Love, You Learn is pretty much the prequel, what took place early, early on, you know what I'm saying, me in college, and then transitioning from college to adulthood, and then that's when uh, Real Love Never Dies picks up off that, you know what I'm saying, and of course, a little bit of adulthood, me going to China, touch base on things that I was doing in China prior to getting locked up, which a lot of people don't even know about just because 14 days is only strictly about the 14 days, so... Um, you get a little bit, you get a taste for what, you know what I'm saying, how China was like for me beforehand. And then, of course, what took place after those 14 days. 
But, but yeah, it's all telling one long story. And the inspiration behind the romance was a number of reasons. The same person that put the bug in my ear to write 14 Days, he put the bug in my ear to write the romance. So that was one. And a lot of women that was reading 14 Days, their biggest concern after reading it was just wondering what happened with me and the girl friend that I was talking about. That's all they cared about. I'm like, that's all you took away from the story? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was two. The, the really selling point, the last one, the selling point, when I came across the statistics of the best-selling genres and I saw romance at the top, I was sold after that. So I was like, okay, bet. <laughs> I had my partner up. I said, hey, bro, send me an outline. Two and a half weeks later, that thing was written. Wow, wow, wow. That is just so awesome, man. So I guess, I guess my final question for you is, when you when you look back at it from the big picture, from going to China, teaching the kids, to the time in prison, to the years after that, and, and now becoming a, a published author with, with multiple books, if you could sum it up into looking at it big picture, like what do you feel like is like the biggest thing that like you've learned from it all? The whole journey up until this point. After the journey really begun, once, like I said before, early on, college football came to an end for me. And I was sitting there asking myself all those questions that I could not answer. It took all of that that had transpired and up until this point for me to be sit here and, and can tell you every, I can answer all those questions now. I know who I am. You know what I'm saying? I know my purpose. I found my identity. I redefined myself. So it was really a journey I was supposed to go through. For sure, I was supposed to go through it. You know what I'm saying? And it was, a, yep. it was happened. It happens to me just because the universe knew I was gonna do something with it. <laughs> you yes. know what I'm saying? I was gonna yes. take it and you know what I'm saying, inspire others. It was yeah. all, it's all part of the journey. It was written. I, I love it. And, and Chancellor, to be honest, it goes back to something that I say all the time, and that is that I believe in all my heart a situation is only truly bad if we can't figure out a way to make good out of it. Tell me. You know, and, and so when I listen to your story and I listen to what you just said, and I say, exactly, he figured out a way to make good out of a bad situation, which then at the end of the day makes you wonder, was it really bad in the first place? Oh, you know, because you've been able to impact lives because of your experience, because you then turned it into a book and or on podcast, you're sharing your story. And, uh, man, I just think it's really awesome. I think you're an awesome guy. And, uh, dude, I'm excited to see, you know, what the future holds. Hey, man, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's all a part of the marathon, man. That's why we call this thing the marathon. You know what I'm saying? I ain't going to sit here and portray this ultimate poise like I've been had this shit figured out. No. The only, I battle every emotion. Yeah. I'm, I battle I'm just, every emotion behind what I've been getting behind, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, up to this point. And the only distinction quality between me and whoever else is going through this, already went through it, or it's about to go through it, is that you're not going to quit. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to end on on a, on a high note, on a funny note. I think it's going to be funny. I don't know. The question may bomb, but uh, it, was a question, <laughs> it was a question I meant to ask you earlier, and I feel like this would be a great way to end it. You talked earlier about how amazing the food was in China. Mm -hmm. How was the food in prison? Oh, uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, like I said, just some form of soup for every meal for the most part, you know what I'm saying? And it was mainly vegetable soup, you know what I'm saying, or tofu soup and bread rolls. 
okay. big fat bread rolls. And sometimes the soup was had a little flavor. Sometimes it would just taste like hot ass water with vegetables in it. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know yeah. what I'm saying? Once I got more immersed into the cell, I see it, I was able to see like abandoned seasoning packets from instant noodles. I'm like, oh, buddy, folks, folks leaving this behind? Bet. I started using that seasoning from the packs, you know what I'm saying? Throw it in the soup if it wasn't hitting on nothing. And it makes soup taste even better. So, yeah. And had my, you know what I'm saying? We had instant noodles here and there. So I was eating some of them sometimes. But yeah, it was, I lost a lot of weight. <laughs> <laughs> I lost a lot of weight. Real talk, man. I came, well, I came back to America. I was about like 150. That was, I haven't been 150 since like high school. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I was, man, uh, thin. Oh, man. Well, with Chancellor, dude, you're such an awesome guy with this just truly incredible story. And uh, man, I want to I want to sincerely thank you for taking the time out of your day to be a guest on the podcast and, and for sharing your story. And uh, I'm going to encourage the listeners to be sure that that you check out today's show notes where I'll leave a link to all of Chancellor's information, including links to all of his books. and. Just, uh, I would encourage you to support this this awesome guy. Support his books, and uh, heck, give you something good to read. So, uh, so Chancellor, uh, thank you again, man, for being on the show. Hey, man, I appreciate you, Kevin, for sure. Just Google me, y'all. Google Chancellor K. Jackson. Everything you need to pop up for our social media, website, other interviews, all of that. Fourteen days in Beijing. You love, you learn. Real love never dies. Both available on Amazon and as well on my website. And I also have the audio book for Fourteen Days in Beijing rolling out too on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, and SoundCloud. So y'all can listen to it, and I'm reading it, so it's a vibe. Woohoo! You know this blind guy loves some audio books, so I love it. Awesome, man. <laughs> oh me, it's a vibe. <laughs> Fantastic, fantastic. Well, Chancellor, thank you. And for you listening today, I hope you've enjoyed another incredible guest here on Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. As always, get out there and take on the day every day with Grit, Grace, and Inspiration. Hey, real quick before you go, I have one last thought to leave you with. I, of course, hope that you've enjoyed today's episode, but more importantly, I want to remind you that I never want you to listen to an episode of this podcast to hear something that I have to say or that my guest has to share and think, wow, I wish I could be like them. I wish I could overcome my own challenges and do the great things that they are doing, but I just can't. Well, friend, that's where you are wrong. You are capable, you are able, and you darn sure are deserving of having all that you can imagine in this life. There's nothing special about me or any guests I have on this podcast. We are all just normal people trying to make it in this life. And so I encourage you to take a look at yourself in the mirror and remind yourself that, you know what? I can do it too. Now, of course, if you would like help along that way, reach out to me, whether that's as a listener of this podcast, a friend, or if you'd like to work with me as a coach, my contact information is inside of every episode's show notes, just like this one. So go down, check out my contact information and reach out to me today. With that said, I encourage you to take on the day every day with grit, grace, and inspiration.